0: Okay, so we'll get started, and we will look at the first point, as I have written here. This is sort of the how we're starting the argument here. Many believers today claim that they hear from God often, but do they? How would we know? What does the Bible say? Yeah, what does the Bible say about when we should say we have heard from God? That's the question we're going to be talking about What does the Bible say about when we should say that we have heard from God? And that will help us be accurate on this matter. So number one, believers should be careful about saying they have heard something from God and should actually avoid saying so in most cases. I know this sounds like a little controversial, but I'll read that one more time. Believers should be very careful about saying they have heard something from God and should actually avoid saying so in most cases Now we're going to get into why. I'm actually going to use my phone as a Bible here. So we're going to look at Deuteronomy 18. So if you got your Bible, go to Deuteronomy chapter 18. So why should we be careful about saying we've heard something from God? And why should we actually avoid doing that in most cases? So Deuteronomy 18, next uh, bullet point I have here is that under the law of Moses, if a person spoke claiming that they were hearing from God, but what they said did not come to pass or was found to be untrue, they were put to death. This comes from Deuteronomy 18 verses 20 through 22. So we'll look at that. So Deuteronomy 18 verses 20 through 22 says, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name which I have not commanded him to speak, or who sp- speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, How shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. And when it says you shall not be afraid of him, that's connected to the first verse, verse 20, that says that prophet shall die. So you shall not be afraid of him is another way of saying that you're going to put him to death. Don't be afraid to put him to death. So yeah, again, the point for this is under the law of Moses, this is really important. Under the law of Moses, if a person spoke claiming they were hearing from God, because that's what prophecy is, but what they said did not come to pass or was found to be untrue they were put to death. So this it was a very serious offense in the eyes of God and still is to say that you have heard from God, deliver it as if you're he- hearing it from God, but then it's found to be untrue or it doesn't come to pass. If we're talking about predicting future events in that form of prophecy, if what you prophesied didn't happen, you were killed for it. That's, that's how serious people were about prophecy in the Old Testament. So as you can imagine, there probably were not a lot of people, at least among the Israelites at this time, claiming they were hearing from God or saying that they had a prophecy or a word from the Lord if they couldn't be sure that it was true because they were putting their lives at stake in doing so. So people treated it very seriously. And that's something that's been lost in the church today for the most part, at least when it, you know, as I mentioned at the very beginning, mostly in charismatic circles where it's more common and where people tend to be more confident that they hear from God. That is a good thing in one way, but it's actually mostly negative because it has caused people to speak presumptuously like Deuteronomy 18 says, in that they venture to say that they have heard from God when really they haven't. But because we're not under the punishments or judgments of the law of Moses, we don't have the sense of godly fear that the Israelites had about speaking under inspiration of the spirit or prophesying. Uh, We don't, have a fear of a punishment for falsely prophesying. Therefore, we don't have the kind of reverence for prophecy that we should have. But the Bible actually does say, we'll get into this later, the Bible actually does say that there will be judgments for falsely prophesying, even for believers today. So we will get into that, and that should hopefully reinstill in us this godly fear about false prophecy. So we will get into that. So the next bullet point I have under here to sum this up is that people should be afraid to say they have heard something from God. This is not, uh, you know, just a, a unreasonable petrified fear. This is a godly, healthy fear. We should have a godly, healthy fear of saying we have heard something from God. And uh, you actually, you can read about this in the book of Jeremiah, because in Jeremiah chapter 20, uh, when Jeremiah was a prophet at this time, He actually says, I said in my heart, I will not make mention of the Lord, nor will I speak any more in his name. So Jeremiah was like, I want to stop prophesying because I'm afraid of it because it gets me persecuted. There's so many repercussions that come from prophesying. I want to, I want to quit this. I want to stop. He says in Jeremiah 20, and then he follows that statement up by saying, but his word was in my heart, like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. So he says, "I I don't like prophesying. I'm I'm afraid. I have a healthy fear of prophesying, but I have to because it's like this burning fire shut up in my bones. I can't not prophesy because of the power of God that moves me to do so. So that's an example of somebody in the Old Testament. That's Jeremiah that um, had that healthy fear. So, like I said, we will be getting into." Uh, why we're supposed to have a healthy fear and a hesitancy in saying we have heard from God today uh, in with New Testament scripture. So we will get into that, um, but we will we will uh, move forward from here. So, Karen, I noticed you mentioned you commented Old Testament. Um, if you have more to say, questions, feel free to put them in the chat. I'll get to them when I can. Um, just be descriptive if you want to if you want to ask a specific question, and we'll make sure to touch on that. Okay, so the next point, we'll turn to Jeremiah chapter 23 for this. Jeremiah chapter 23 in verse 18. So the point for this is actually, truly, hearing and recognizing the voice of God is considered a rare thing. It is not widespread. I'll read that again. Actually hearing and recognizing the voice of God is considered a rare thing in the Bible. It is not widespread. Now we're going to look at Jeremiah 23, 18 for this. This is Jeremiah speaking, or this is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. He says, For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord, and who has perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? These who questions is very common in the Hebrew scriptures to express that something is rare. So like, for example, you'll find in Proverbs 31 in verse 10, when it starts talking about the virtuous wife or the virtuous woman, it says, who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies. That is a statement that is saying it is difficult to find or it is rare to find a virtuous wife. And it expresses that through this question. Who can find a virtuous wife, right? This is a similar thing happening with this this prophecy in Jeremiah. Who has stood in the counsel of the Lord? Who has actually perceived, recognized, and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? It's God expressing how many people are there out there actually that are truly hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, it is rare. In the time that this was written, it was rare. And I will argue that from Scripture, it is also rare today. Now, one of the objections that comes up from this is, okay, well, what about in the New Testament in First Corinthians 14, for example, where Paul says that we should all desire earnestly to prophesy? Uh, and later in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. Uh, there's also a verse in Numbers where Moses says that he wishes that all the Lord's people were prophets. So there's verses like that that seem to express that prophecy should be more common. Now, it says it, it is saying exactly that, that prophecy should be more common, but believers should be all obedient to God. Um, people all should be saved. If you look at both Numbers and 1 Corinthians, where Moses and Paul are expressing their desire for believers to prophesy, they specifically say that they wish or they could wish that all believers would prophesy because is that God's desire? Is it God's desire that every believer be able to accurately hear the voice of God? Absolutely. That is a perfect world situation. It should be that way, but it isn't. And that's what we're getting into in this verse in Jeremiah It should be that all God's people are able to hear his voice and relay what he's speaking. But the reality is who has stood in his counsel, who has perceived and heard his word, who has marked his word and heard it. This is not a common thing. Um, And we can continue to believe that it should be, but just because it should be be, doesn't mean that it is. And we're going to get into scriptures that uh, explain that specifically in more detail. But we can, for now, move on with the point that hearing and recognizing the voice of God is considered a rare thing. It is not widespread. Next point, God actually generally, God generally commands us not to say we have heard a word from God. Now, this is, again, a really controversial statement. I'll get into this. Again, God generally commands us not to say we have heard a word from God unless it can be proven, key phrase, unless it can be proven. In the days of Jeremiah, when there were lots of people saying they were hearing from God, they were punished for it. This is something that not a lot of people realize. In the days when lots of people were saying they were hearing from God in Israel, they were punished for it. They were not commended for it. And were given a command, in most cases, not to say we have heard from God. This comes from Jeremiah 23 as well. We're going to look in verse 33. Jeremiah 23, verse 33, says, this is God speaking to the Israelites. So when these people or the prophet or the priest ask you, saying, what is the oracle of the Lord? I'm actually going to read this in a different translation because it's a little more straightforward. I'm going to read this in, in NIV. I don't commonly read in NIV, but this particular translation makes it read a lot more simply and it's just as accurate. Jeremiah 23, again, verse 33. When these people or a prophet or a priest ask you, what is the message from the Lord? Say to them, what message? I will forsake you, declares the Lord. (laughs) If a prophet or a priest or anyone else claims this is a message from the Lord, I will punish them and their household. This is what each of you keeps saying to your friends and other Israelites, what is the Lord's answer, or what has the Lord spoken? But you must not mention, quote, a message from the Lord, end quote, again, because each one's word becomes their own message. So you distort the words of the living God, the Lord Almighty, the Lord Almighty, our God. This is what you keep saying to a prophet. What is the Lord's answer to you? Or what has the Lord spoken? Although you claim this is a message from the Lord, this is what the Lord says. You used the words, this is a message from the Lord, even though I told you that you must not claim that this is a message from the Lord. Therefore, I will surely forget you and cast you out of my presence along with the city I gave to you and your ancestors. I will bring on you everlasting disgrace, everlasting shame that will not be forgotten. So we'll start at the end of this passage, because this is where we have more of that godly fear instilled here. He says that God will bring on people everlasting disgrace and shame that will not be forgotten if they're saying, I heard from God. This is the message from the Lord. This is the word from the Lord prophesying, right? When he has told them not to. In other words, saying you have heard from God when you have not and when God has told you in his word not to, is a very serious offense that God says, in this case at least, is punishable by everlasting disgrace and shame. So this is considered a very serious thing uh, and is not to be toyed with. Now we'll move back to the beginning of the passage and we'll move forward from there. And I'll give you guys some context. He says in verse 34, Anyone who says... Quote, this is a message from the Lord, end quote. I will punish them and their household. And then he says, this is what each of you keeps saying to your friends and other Israelites that you have a message from the Lord. In other words, God is indicting these Israelites, he is exposing a sin to these Israelites. And that sin is them claiming they have heard from God when he has told them not to say that. Now, the question that comes up is why would God tell us not to say we have heard from God? Well, the answer is in previous verses, and we'll get into this more later in the teaching as well. But earlier in the chapter... God says, verse 21, same chapter, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. Earlier, he says, in verse 17, they continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. Other chapters in Jeremiah and chapters in Ezekiel, like Ezekiel 13, uh, Jeremiah, I believe, 13, 17, has similar language. It's talking about a similar topic. And this phrase, the dictates of his own heart, comes up very commonly. And this phrase is used to rebuke the people because they are trying to prophesy out of their own thoughts to approve of people's own thoughts. And you see that expressed also in the end of the chapter. Let's see if I can find this verse again. I just read it. It's in the section between 33 and 39 again. Yeah, verse 36, where he says, But you must not mention a message from the Lord again because each one's word becomes their own message. He's saying the reason why I'm trying to tell you to stop saying you have heard from God is because all you're saying is what your own message is, what your own thoughts are. You're not saying something that's from God, it's just coming from your own thoughts, the dictates of your own heart. In Jeremiah 17, he says um, that. Uh, that people are deceived by their own heart, that uh, the heart of man, it says, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So he's trying to tell these people as a general command to stop commonly saying you have heard from God because most of what you're hearing, if not all of it, is just your own thoughts. You're trying to play the God card with those thoughts make it authoritative when it is not, because it does not come from God. So I'll go back to the point I started with, that God generally commands us not to say we have heard a word from God. Using this passage, Jeremiah, the point is we generally should not say we have heard from God because as a reality, most people have their own thoughts And they make their own message into a message from God, which is wrong, in which case we're commanded not to say we have heard from God. If we do say we have heard from God and we have not, it says the punishment is everlasting shame and disgrace. So we do not want to have to suffer that. Um, So we should avoid, avoid that. Now, question that comes up very commonly is, okay, if we grow to a point where we know the word, we are not falsely hearing, we are not claiming that our own thoughts are the word of God, then shouldn't we be able to start saying that we've heard from God? Well, the answer, of course, is yes. We're going to get into more scriptures about that um, later on. But as stated before, it is a rare case to find a believer that knows the word and the spirit well enough to actually be able to say that they've heard from God. That's why the general command in Jeremiah is that the overall public should not be saying they have heard from God because the overall public isn't hearing from God. In most cases, it's just their own thoughts. So you, you will you will be in a safe spot if you are generally avoiding saying you have heard from God. Um, unless it can be proven, then you can have more confidence. So we'll get into that. Just remember... Before I move on, we should be afraid to say we've heard from God. Actually, hearing His voice is a rare thing, so generally, in most cases, we should not say we've heard from God unless it can be proven, and unless we can have one hundred percent certainty. That's how we sum up the first section. So that that closes out the first section of the teaching um, based on Deuteronomy and Jeremiah. Be careful saying you heard from God. Most cases, don't say you have unless it can be proven. Next section, we're going to get into some examples of other prophets in the Old Testament. So true prophets like Samuel and Jeremiah in the Old Testament or Agabus in the New Testament were able to boldly say, thus says the Lord, when they heard from God, because their words were proven by a track record of prophecies that always came to pass and were always proven to be true every single time, always, always, always. True prophets were able to boldly say, thus says the Lord, when they heard from God, because their words were proven by a track record of prophecies that always came to pass and were always proven to be true. Always. So let's look at an example of this. Go to First Samuel chapter 3. First <clears throat> Samuel chapter 3 in verse 19. Switch back to New King James version here. First Samuel three and verse 19 says, So Samuel, here's the prophet Samuel. Samuel grew and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. I'll go back to verse 19. So Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. What we're dealing with here is somebody that God has called to be a prophet, not somebody that gave themselves the title of a prophet, not somebody who has had the audacity to call themselves a prophet. We're talking about somebody that is not appointed by man, somebody that's appointed by God to be a prophet. This is Samuel. And when God appoints a prophet, notice it says, God let none of his words fall to the ground. None. Not letting any word fall to the ground means there's nothing that Samuel said that did not come to pass. Nothing. So if there's ever a prophet, who's somebody who's a false prophet, who says that they're hearing from God and they speak it, well everything that they say, everything they prophesy is going to come to pass, right? No no single word is going to fall to the ground. So, if no single word is going to fall to the ground and that's how God establishes a prophet, then the only way somebody is a true prophet is if none of their words are unfulfilled or unproven. That's how God affirms when he has called somebody to be a prophet, and that's how God affirmed Samuel as to be a prophet. Next point. For this reason, true prophets were feared. If they spoke, God was speaking and this made people afraid. This is a really interesting point too. Again in First Samuel, but we're going to look at chapter 16. I like that comment, Karen. Yeah. Using the God card to control because they have a need to appear spiritual. Very true. This happened in Jeremiah. That They wanted to influence crowds, influence people. They wanted to appear spiritual, so they play the God card. That's exactly, it still happens today. Okay, so 1 Samuel 16, the point we're looking at now is true prophets were feared by the people. 1 Samuel 16, verses 4 through 5. This is when God called Samuel to go and anoint uh, David, the son of Jesse, to be the next king of Israel. And so he goes... It says, Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. This is verse four. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So I think this is really funny because this tells you the kind of reputation that Samuel had as a true prophet. Remember, if we go back to chapter three of first Samuel, it says that everyone knew Samuel was established as a prophet to the Lord. So there was nobody in the whole land of Israel that didn't think Samuel was a real prophet, which is another good point about real prophets that you're not going to see somebody who's a real prophet that's doubted by a whole bunch of people. True prophets, everybody knows they're a prophet and they're feared. We know this from verse four because it says that when Samuel showed up, they trembled. They were like, do you come peaceably? Like, uh, is there is there a good reason that you're here? The reason why they're asking that question, the reason why they're fearful is because every other time that Samuel showed up, what he said always resulted in some kind of judgment from God. Like King Saul is receiving judgment at this point. The Israelites have received judgment. The household of Eli in the early days of Samuel as a prophet, his household was judged. Prophecies always contain a lot of warnings. And so, because everything Samuel has said has come true, people assume that if Samuel shows up, he's going to proclaim some kind of judgment and it's going to happen because everything he says happens. So, we actually don't like when Samuel shows up and that's what you see happening. They tremble at the arrival of a true prophet and are asking themselves, do you come peaceably? Like, have I done something wrong? Like, oh no, There's, there's usually... Uh, a fear, uh, a godly fear attached to the arrival of a prophet. So that gives you more insight into the kind of reputation that true prophets have. And it's always based on, like I mentioned in the first point, a track record of prophecies that always came to pass and were always proven to be true. For that reason, true prophets were feared. That's the point to sum it up. So Next point, point, we'll make this practical. So someone might not say the exact words, thus says the Lord, but they might say, God put it on my heart to tell you, or I feel like the Lord is moving me to say to you, or I feel like God is saying whatever. No matter how you say it, as soon as you add God's name to your claim, if what you have said is untrue, you are acting as a false prophet do not take that risk. If you were in the Old Testament, that risk could have cost you your life. Do not take that risk. So again, no matter how you say it, as soon as you add God's name to your claim, if what you have said is untrue, you're acting as a false prophet. You'll see a lot of believers who will say, well, you know, I'm not saying thus says the Lord, but If you even say something like, I feel like God put it on my heart, or God might have said this, that's just a more timid way of saying, thus says the Lord. Don't even go there. Just if you're not confident like Samuel was, then just don't include God's name. It is perfectly okay to say, you know, I have some wisdom from the word of God, or I have something I want to say to you that I think might help you. You can say that it's from your thoughts and still have it be godly wisdom. It can still be sound. It can still be accurate. It can still be impactful for people. You you don't have to add God's name to it if you're not confident, and I, I wouldn't do that because remember, Jeremiah says that it's it's worthy of judgment. It's worthy of punishment to say that you have a message from God when you're just speaking from your own thoughts and your own message. So if it still seems like it's your thoughts, your wisdom, your discernment, what have you, just say, "Hey, this is just my wisdom. This is my discernment." You don't have to add God's name to it, um, and you'll be avoiding the risk of judgment in in doing so and taking that safer, safer route. Okay. Next section. We're let's see, thirty minutes in here. Okay. Next section, number three. If you think you're hearing something that may be from the Spirit until you grow to the point of clear distinction of the spirit's voice, simply say it as your own thoughts or wisdom in this way, you guard yourself from the danger and judgment of God on false prophecy. Now, this is where we get to the judgment that's going to be for believers on false prophecy. Cause like I was saying earlier in the old Testament, it's very obvious that there was going to be judgment, but you know, we're believers. We're not under the law of Moses. We're not under the punishment of the law. So, how does this apply to us? This is going to be in Jesus' words in Matthew, chapter twelve. Matthew chapter twelve, and we will start reading. Well, let's let's actually start in verse thirty-one because there's an important point to add here. Matthew twelve thirty-one. Jesus speaking says, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good, its fruit good, or else make the tree bad, and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you say being evil, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. But I say to you, here's the key phrase here, that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Let's do read verse 36 again. That for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. We'll focus on that for a little while. What is an idle word? An idle word means empty words, uh, worthless words. In the case of prophecy, falsely prophesying saying something that is not from God, saying something that does not come to pass, is an empty or idle word. It's worthless speech in the name of the Lord. That is such a punishable offense because the Bible says about God's word that everything he says comes to pass. He does not alter his word whatsoever. Nothing that comes out of his mouth changes and nothing that he speaks fails to come to pass. So if God's reputation is always that everything he says comes to pass and you bear his name and say something that does not come to pass, you've now attached an idle word to the name of God and the reputation of God. So you put a stain on the spirit when you falsely prophesy. That is how we can connect this passage to the previous paragraph that talks about blasphemy against the spirit. If you say the spirit has said the spirit has done something and what you're saying is not of the spirit or you're, you're blaming the spirit, giving the spirit credit for an evil thing for a false thing, then that blasphemes the spirit, which is a very dangerous thing. So Jesus says, make sure you don't blaspheme the spirit. Don't say the spirit has done something that's of the devil. And then he says, every empty, idle word you speak, you'll give account of it in the day of judgment. This applies to believers because in Second uh, Corinthians 5, verse 10, 9 and 10, well, 9 through 11 specifically, Second Corinthians 5, 9 through 11, it says that we will give account for our actions on the Day of Judgment. Romans 14, I believe, verses 10 and 11 says the same thing. We will give account on the Day of Judgment. This passage in Matthew certainly applies to believers because it lines up with other passages that are specifically about believers. You will give account. You will be held accountable if you say that something is from God when in reality it is not because that is an idle word. That will be remembered. You will be accountable for that if you do not repent. So change your ways. You should have a godly fear about saying you have heard from God and you shouldn't shouldn't be saying something like that if you can't be confident. So keep that in mind. That again is Matthew 12, verse 36. Again, the main point was, until you grow to the point of clear distinction of the Spirit's voice, simply say it as your own thoughts or wisdom. In this way, you guard yourself from the danger and judgment of God on false prophecy, because there will be judgment on false prophecy. So take out God's name, just say it's your own wisdom, your own thoughts, if you want to avoid that judgment. Okay. Next point, how we can grow. If you continue to grow in your obedience to the word, your hearing of the Spirit's voice will increase, and you will eventually be able to hear clearly and distinctly. If you continue to grow in your obedience to the word, your hearing of the Spirit's voice will increase and you will eventually be able to hear clearly and distinctly. Keep that in mind. You can grow to a point where you hear clearly. Until then, be wary of your own thoughts because they can lead you astray. Psalms 94.11 says, God knows the thoughts of man that they are futile." futile. Again, that's Psalms 94, 11. The thoughts of man are futile, worthless. So avoid or be careful about your own thoughts. Be wary of your own thoughts. Isaiah 55, verse eight, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. God's thoughts are not your thoughts. So don't place any weight on your own thoughts. Second Corinthians 10, verse five says, we take every thought captive unto obedience to Christ. So if your thoughts were automatically always God-honoring, then why would you have to take them captive and make them obedient? You don't have to make something obedient if it already is. Our thoughts, most of them, are disobedient. They're not in alignment with Scripture, so we have to take them captive, which basically means make note of them, change them into thoughts that that are obedient through renewing our mind with Scripture. If you have a thought that doesn't agree with Scripture— read what the Bible says about it so you can change that thought into something that does agree with Scripture. That's the point. That's the concept there, that be careful about speaking your own thoughts because they can lead you astray or adding weight to your own thoughts because they can lead you astray. So again, if you continue to grow in your obedience to the Word, your hearing of the Spirit's voice will increase you will eventually be able to hear clearly and distinctly. Okay. So we have a comment about Anna and Simeon prophesying powerfully over the baby Jesus. Yet we have no history or knowledge of them being prophets. Yeah. Their, uh, their prophecies, we can read about those in Luke Their What they said, of course, was true prophecy, uh, obviously because it was, it was put in scripture. Um, And you can find Zacharias, who's the father of John the Baptist, also has a prophecy. Simeon, Jesus present. yeah, Simeon sees God's salvation. Notice it says, this is Luke 2.25, there's a man in Jerusalem, his name was Simeon, this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. So before Simeon prophesies were told, the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit, revealed this, Holy Spirit revealed this to him. The Holy Spirit gave him a prophecy and he came by the Spirit into the temple. So Simeon obviously was aware of and others were aware of the Holy Spirit upon him and the Holy Spirit leading him to speak. Luke, who's the author, of course, of this gospel, knew that Simeon had the spirit upon him and that he acted and spoke by the spirit. Therefore, what Simeon says is written out as a prophecy. That's just an example with Simeon. Um, Same thing with Anna in verse 36. There was one Anna, a prophetess. So she's identified as a prophetess. The writer of Luke, the gospel of Luke, knows that Anna is a prophetess. In order for somebody to be called a prophet or a prophetess, they had to have a reputation. People aren't called prophets if they don't have a reputation that allows them to bear that title. Um, So keep that in mind. Again, you use Samuel as the example that God let none of his words fall to the ground. That's how someone is established as a prophet. You don't get called a prophet unless God establishes you as one through a track record of words that are always fulfilled. Simeon and Anna both had that reputation. That's why they're both called prophets. That's why they're both identified in Luke as speaking and moving by the Spirit. So, but great, great comment. They're good examples. Thank you for bringing that up. So let's move forward here now. Let's talk more about our growth. Uh, Section number four here. As growing believers, we learn to recognize or detect the distinction in the Spirit's voice over time we should not be quick to say we have heard from God unless we can be 100% certain. Even the prophet Samuel could not make a clear distinction between the voice of God and other voices until later on. This is something that not a lot of believers consider, that when we think of hearing from the spirit, you'll hear a lot of believers say like, oh, it sounds like my own thoughts. Now that might be true, but over time, as you grow, the Spirit's voice becomes distinct from your own thoughts. You grow to a point where you recognize the Spirit's voice on a level that you know it's not, it doesn't sound like your thoughts anymore. It is incorrect if you think that the voice of the Spirit will always sound like your thoughts, because that is not the case in Scripture. Early in a person's growth, the voice of the spirit did sound like their thoughts or sounded like a voice they were familiar with as they grew the distinctiveness or distinction of the spirit's voice emerged so that they were later able to clearly know the difference between the spirit and their own thoughts samuel is an example of this we'll go to first back to first samuel chapter 3 first samuel chapter 3 again the point for this is over time you learn to recognize or detect the distinction in the Spirit's voice. If the Holy Spirit still sounds like your thoughts, you haven't grown to this point yet. But you can grow to a point where there is clear distinction, so you obviously know the difference. So 1 Samuel chapter 3, we'll start in verse 1, uh, and we'll read through verse verse 7. It says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days there was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was lying down in his place and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was. And while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called to Samuel. And he, Samuel, answered and said, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And Eli said, I did not call. Uh, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and laid it down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel, here's the key verse. Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. We'll keep going a little bit further. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. It shall be if he calls to you that you must say, speak Lord or Yahweh for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. We'll pause there. So here's why we're using this as an example. In this case, you have, somebody who God was establishing as a prophet. Notice, early in the days of his prophecy, when Samuel is first getting started, he could not recognize the difference between the voice of God and the voice that he was familiar with, which was the voice of Eli, right? Later on, the word or the voice of the Lord was revealed, distinction was made so that he knew when it was God and when it was something else or someone else. In new covenant context, your hearing comes from, you could say your conscience, your mind is the inner, inner voice, that still small voice, and it will sound like the voice you're familiar with, which would be your own thoughts. Just like for Samuel, it sounded like Eli. He couldn't tell the difference between the spirit and Eli until after it was revealed to him. So, what that tells us is that the sound of the spirit's voice the phonetic differences and distinctions in the Spirit's voice have to be revealed to you by God. You grow into that revelation where the voice of God becomes distinct and it stands out amongst all other voices. Early in your walk, when you're early in your hearing of the Spirit's voice, early in that that area of maturity, it will just simply sound like what you're familiar with, which will be your thoughts. Practical application don't think you're supposed to stay in the place of the Spirit sounding like your thoughts because that's not that's not the standard, that's not the goal. The goal is that we would grow into the place that Samuel grew into, and it even says that he grew, which is that we will come to recognize, detect the voice of the Spirit and know how it sounds different. That's why 1 Samuel 3, in the end of the chapter, it says, so Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. Samuel grew to the point where he could make that distinction in the in the, the sound of the voice of the Lord. So we can grow into that if we continue to grow in our obedience to the word. The more obedient to the word that you become, the more your hearing of the Spirit's voice will mature, develop, continue, just like the voice of a sheep to a shepherd. That's what Jesus said. My sheep hear my voice. Sheep grow into uh, making that distinction in their shepherd's voice. It's the same way for us. You'll grow into this. So keep that in mind. The spirit's sound is a still small voice that one must learn to detect. If you remember 1 Kings 19, 12, and 13, this is where Elijah is standing in the mouth of the cave. There's the earthquake, the wind, and the fire. And then it says, "But God wasn't in those things." And then it says, "There was a still small voice." And when Elijah heard it, he exited. He covered his head with his mantle and exited the cave. It refers to the voice of God as a still small voice. You must you must learn to detect it. We'll move forward. Acts tells us of mature believers that were able to recognize when the Spirit spoke to them. Philip and Peter, as two examples, grew to a point where they could recognize when the Spirit spoke. Go to Acts chapter 8. We're going to look at Philip first. Acts chapter 8. We're getting close to the end here. Acts 8 in verses 28. Says the Ethiopian eunuch was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Verse 29 Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. Philip obeyed the spirit. The writer of Acts says the spirit said to Philip. Now, Philip was the only one here. He was by himself. So Luke, who is the one who wrote uh, Acts of the Apostles, Luke was not with Philip when this happened. So the only way Luke got this information is because Philip later shared the story, obviously, and Philip had to say, the spirit told me to go near and overtake the chariot. So obviously, Philip was confident in his hearing enough that he knew when the Holy Spirit was talking to him. And he didn't say, it doesn't say in Acts, he thought that maybe possibly the spirit said to him to go and overtake the chariot. It's straightforward, it's clear, and it's confident the Spirit said to Philip. So Philip knew that this was the Spirit talking to him. Uh, then you can go to another example. This is about Peter, Acts chapter 11. The actual events take place in chapter 10. In chapter 11, Peter recounts his experience of the where he fell into a trance and the sheet was let down from heaven with all kinds of unclean animals and God tells him to eat what God has cleansed. You must not call common, that story. Now, this was done three times. This is verse 10 of Acts 11. And we're all drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Verse 12. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Peter, as another example, knew when the Spirit was talking to him. The Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Peter could make the distinction between the voice of the spirit. He even knew the difference between that voice and then the voice that came from heaven, which is in red letters, the voice of God, the voice of the father, or what could be the voice of Jesus says, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. But then when the spirit talks to him, he knows that it's the spirit talking to him. So there's even a difference between the sound of the voice of the son, the sound of the voice of the father and the sound of the voice of the spirit. They all have a different sound and Peter knows when the father or the son are talking to him and he knows when the spirit's talking to him and he specifically notes the difference in Acts chapter 11, which is interesting. So we grow to a point where you can make those distinctions until that time comes. We just have to be careful and not be saying we're hearing from God until we grow to that point where it can be proven the way that Peter and Philip could prove it. Okay. Okay. So we should be patient while we grow to this point and not be so quick to say we have heard from God. Be patient with your growth. Be patient with the process. You will grow to hear the difference. I've been a believer for 12 years now, and there's only been two two situations in my whole life so far where I knew that I knew that I knew that it was the spirit that was telling me something. The voice sounded different two times. There's been other times where I've heard from the spirit, but didn't know that I was hearing, and it was confirmed later. But there's only been two times where there's been a distinction. And that kind of tells me where I'm at in my growth. I have a lot of room to grow, right? And it takes time. All right, next section. We're getting close to being done here. How can we be 100% certain we have heard from the spirit? If the sound, is distinct from the sound of your own or familiar thoughts. You'll grow into this as you grow spiritually. And two, if what you hear lines up perfectly with the word. How you be certain what what you're hearing is from the spirit. The sound is distinct and it agrees with scripture. Perfectly lines up with scripture. Those are your two points of judgment. That's how you discern. Most importantly, especially for earlier believers, Remember that what the Spirit says will always line up perfectly with the Word. 1 John 5, 7 says the Spirit and the Word agree as one. The Word and the Spirit will always agree on what they say. The Word is the first way to judge prophecies. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29 says that prophecies should be judged. That means weigh what is said in balance with the Word. Does the Word agree with what a prophet has said? And that's how you judge prophecies. That's how you discern them. So the word has to always come first. But you put two and two together. The sound of the Spirit's voice is distinct from other familiar thoughts or voices. And what you hear from the Spirit will always line up perfectly with the word. That's how you can confirm that something is from the Spirit. This is this last section. Do not rely on circumstances, signs, or wonders to confirm what you think you're hearing because the enemy can use this to deceive you. A lot of people don't realize this, but it's super important. Again, do not rely on circumstances, signs, or wonders to confirm what you think you're hearing because the enemy can use this to deceive you. Some believers will look to experiential confirmations in order to verify their hearing. But this is unreliable. Look at Deuteronomy thirteen verses one through five. This this is a crazy scripture. I uh, I'm actually surprised that this is in the Bible. Um, <laughs> believe it or not, because it, it when I first read this scripture, I was wondering, man, why would God do this? Why would God let this happen? But it makes sense once you understand it. So Deuteronomy thirteen verses one through five says, "If there arises among you a prophet." Or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, something miraculous, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass. So this is like somebody makes a prophecy; they perform some kind of sign. They say, "Guys, this is going to happen." Uh, you know, "Thus says the Lord," so on and so forth. Of which he spoke to you, saying, "Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them." You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away the evil from your midst. So here's, to sum it up, here's what's happening. He's saying, some prophet guy comes to you, makes a prophecy, says this sign or miracle is going to take place. Then it actually comes to pass. He makes a prophecy. He actually performs a miracle. But it doesn't stop there because remember, if what something if something said takes place it comes to pass or there's that for you there might be that uh, experiential confirmation where you think you heard something and then in circumstances it seems like it was true that's what's happening here does it stop there no because he says look this prophet might end up saying to you afterwards let's go after other gods which you have not known Let's go serve something else. Let's get into this sin. Let's practice this. Let's believe this false doctrine. Let's let's not be obedient to the Bible, right? Just because a prophecy comes to pass or just because a miracle happens, that doesn't mean you're supposed to obey what that prophet says. Because if a miracle coincides with a command to disobey the Bible, it is still false prophecy from a false prophet, and you are not to obey it. So, miracles or experiential confirmations alone are not enough to give you reason to obey. If it doesn't agree with scripture, it is not from God. Notice God lets this happen to test you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. This is so, again, this is why I'm saying this is crazy. This is this is an example where God sometimes will let a false prophecy come to pass, or he will let a false prophecy have signs or wonders with them as a way of testing believers to see if they will obey the Bible or they will obey this false prophet. So just, just because there's miracles that come with a prophecy, even that isn't enough to give you reason to obey. It has to agree with the word and it has to keep your loyalty upon Jesus and his word first and foremost. So that's why it is of greatest importance to remember that what the spirit says will always line up perfectly with the word. Some prophecies come to pass and come with miracles, but because they don't agree with the word, you're not supposed to obey them, right? So we have to be Number one, is this in the word? Does it line up with scripture or not? So that's a really sobering passage, Deuteronomy 13, one through five. God can allow certain wonders to take place upon false prophecy in order to test people's devotion to the truth. Yeah, that's that's just amazing. Here's another thing to keep in mind. Demons can reveal true information also, and they can use measures of truth to capture people's attention only to lead them astray in the end. This is why you cannot rely on your experiences. You need to confirm using the word first. Demons can use and take advantage of certain measures of truth to get your attention, but then lead you astray. So you have to know the word. Don't just rely upon some kind of vision of miracles or or signs or wonders or confirming experiences. So how can a believer use the word to confirm? This is where it gets practical. How can a believer use the word to confirm? If you get a thought... And you're wondering if it's from God, remember these things. What the Spirit says will never excuse sin or please the flesh. God's voice will always encourage repentance from sin and will be uncomfortable to the flesh. Jeremiah 23, we'll go back there. This is what we'll look at. Jeremiah chapter 3, this is the last couple points before we're done. Jeremiah 23 in verses 13 through 14. He says, I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied by Baal and caused my people Israel to error. Also, I have seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They also strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns back from his wickedness. Why is God saying these prophets are false? Because what they're saying keeps people in their sin. Something that doesn't come from God is always going to excuse your sin or give you permission to continue in it. True prophecy, words that come from the Spirit will always agree with the Bible, and they always will encourage you to repent from your sin, not to continue in it. False prophecy will try to make a person feel at peace with their sin. This is another thing. Jeremiah 23, verse 17, about false prophets uh, they speak a vision from their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. Here's 17. They continually say to those who despise me, "The Lord has said, 'You shall have peace.'" And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, "No evil shall come upon you." False, false prophecy tries to make people feel comfortable, continuing in their sins. So he says, these false prophets say, "You shall have peace" when they're walking in sin when they're following their own thoughts and they're saying nothing bad's going to happen, God approves of what you're doing, you're going to have peace, you're going to prosper, you're going to have wealth, you're going to have joy when you're still in sin and you're not encouraged to repent from that sin. So false prophecy always excuses sin, gives you permission to, to continue in it, whereas true prophecy encourages you to repent from your sin always. That's just a good rule of thumb to keep in mind. What the Spirit says to you we'll have another example in the written word. Second Corinthians 13 verse one says by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is confirmed. If you're, if you think the spirit saying something to you, is there an example similar to what you're hearing in the Bible? Now you might peep. Some people think, well, the Bible doesn't have specific examples for everything. Well, I would actually argue that most specific examples actually do have scripture, but they're just an ancient equivalent or a, a Biblical history equivalent of something you're experiencing today. I'll give you an example. Visual details used to identify certain people can come from the Spirit. Mark 14, 13 through 15, Jesus told his disciples when they were going to prepare for the Last Supper, go and there's going to be a guy who will run into you with a pitcher. He's going to be carrying a pitcher and tell that person that you're going to have the Last Supper in his house and he'll have a room prepared for you. So Jesus gave by the Spirit instructions to his disciples about visual details about a person that will let them know that they have found the person who has a room prepared for them. So that means that's an example in the Bible. The spirit can give you visual details to identify certain places or people that can happen. There's scripture for that. Let's say you're, you want to go share the gospel and you're praying and, you know, God says in the park, you're going to see somebody with a pink hat and uh you know a chihuahua on a leash right like that's that's kind of a you know bizarre example but those are visual details so some people might say well why would the spirit say that well we got examples in the bible of jesus giving people visual details in this case jesus says hey there's going to be a guy who will run into you and he's going to be carrying a pitcher of water on his shoulder right so that's a visual detail that kind of thing can be revealed a command to go away for fasting or prayer can come from the spirit. matthew four one, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for fasting and for prayer. Luke five verse sixteen, Jesus went away into the wilderness to pray. The spirit can give you instructions to go away somewhere to fast and pray. So those are two examples. and that you can you can apply this simply. If you think you're hearing something from the spirit and you want to confirm it, See if you can find in the Bible an example of somebody who hears something similar to what you do or an example of somebody who did something similar to what you think you should do being moved by God. If a righteous person does something that's similar to something you think you should do in obedience to God, that's an example in the written word of something that the spirit may be saying to you. So super practical. You can use the word to find examples of what you believe you're hearing in Scripture. So use that. Real practical. I, I have a list in my journal where I actually I went through the whole Bible on every case where somebody hears something from God or they have get direction from God down the details of what actually is being revealed. And it was very helpful for me to know, hey, the, the Spirit says these kinds of things from time to time. It was, it was very helpful. So you can do a similar thing. So that closes us out. That section number six is just don't rely on circumstances, signs, or wonders to confirm what you think you're hearing because the enemy can use this to deceive you. Always rely on the word, get confirmation in the word. That's the point. So we'll go back to the very beginning before I wrap this up. Many believers today claim that they hear from God often, but do they? Most do not. How would we know? Well, we would know if there's distinction in the Spirit's voice and the word confirms it. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about when we should say we have heard from God? Well, when you grow to a point where the Spirit's voice is distinct, what God says to you is always always comes to pass, is always proven to be true, and always agrees with the word. That's when you can know you have heard from God. That's when you can start saying confidently that you have heard. From God. And if you are diligent to grow and are diligent to grow in your maturity, your spiritual growth, like Philip, like Peter, you can get to a point where you can have that confidence with the Spirit after the resurrection and the day of Pentecost. So, and nobody until that point forward. So, with at least one individual, in this case, Philip, in five to six years, he grew to a point where he could hear the Holy Spirit distinctly and confidently. Um, so if we're diligent like Philip was, I think we can grow to that degree um, in about that amount of time as well by the grace of God. So keep that in mind. Take this as an encouragement. Um, Kelly, I noticed you had a comment here. It's interesting that in Acts 11, 7 and 9, Peter says, I heard a voice. He had such a healthy fear of the Lord that he didn't say, I heard God's voice. Yeah, that's a great point. When he has the uh, vision Acts eleven. Let me look that up. Eleven verse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I heard I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. So yeah, it it was but the voice answered me, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Yeah, so this is interesting because Acts, the book of Acts, puts what this voice said in red letters, which means it's jesus speaking and but peter doesn't say that like your to your point kelly that he had such a fear of the lord that he didn't say i heard god's voice he just simply repeated what he heard but it wasn't declared to be the voice of god until it was written in acts 11 in red letters that's a great point even peter had this fear of god guys so If we're going to follow that example, we should be very careful about saying we've heard from God. So we can finish with that unless there are any final questions or comments. I'll certainly take some more. Um, I'll give you guys a couple moments. If you guys have any other questions, you can put them in the chat. Could also be maybe suggestions for another topic. I would like to do this more often. Uh, I just got this new video set up and... um, trying to be more more active online so we will be doing this a little bit more often give a couple more moments if there's any final questions